0: Today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you. And we are entering into Easter week, which is a great time to just put ourselves kind of in the story. Think about Jesus' last days on earth. What did he do? What did he say? Who did he talk with? Uh, What situations did he find himself in? And so we're going to do that together in community this week. Um, Maybe you picked up on your way Andy has put together, it's called The Rebels of the Resurrection. And it's just a little devotional that you can put in your Bible, you can put in your bag um, to read through this week and think about just different scenarios as we lead up to the the cross and and Jesus resurrection. And then on Friday night, we're gonna gather at the Newberry Library at 7 p.m. for a good Friday service and think about the cross together and then next Sunday we're going to be here and we will celebrate the resurrection together for Easter Sunday. So, it's going to be a great week for us together as we think about this. And last week we started looking a little more at the Easter story and we were looking at it we're looking at it through a little different lens because we are fast-forwarding past the resurrection past when Jesus comes back to life, and we're looking at three different interactions that he had with people, and a question that he asked them. And so last week, Andy shared Jesus' question to Mary when she is at the empty tomb, and he says, why are you crying? And he talked about how Jesus enters into our pain and our grief, and how he meets us in that, and how he suffers with us in that. And this morning, we are going to talk about an interaction that he had after his resurrection with Peter and how he comes to meet Peter in his shame. And can I, I mean, can I be honest with you here? I wrestled with God about this message because both, both the message itself and being the one to deliver it, because I have lived in the shadow of shame in, in, for a good part of a decade of my life. And shame is something that put me on the sidelines. It put me in a place where I couldn't imagine how God could set me free from it. I couldn't picture what he wanted to do with my life. And it was a place of of really feeling stuck and trapped. And so I am sharing this with you today. Even as I prepared, I was reminded of all the ways that shame still creeps into my heart, even now, even in preparation for this. And so I'm here sharing this message as someone that has been in this battle, that continues to be in this battle, but also as someone who can say that God has the power to set you free from the grip of shame in your life. And so we're going to look at how this all came to life in the story of Peter. So let's just imagine, let's let's talk a little bit about Peter here. We're going to be in in John 21. All right. So Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, but even more than that, Peter was on the inner circle. He was one of the originals, he's one of the original called, and he had conversations that with Jesus and heard Jesus have conversations that other people didn't hear. He saw things that other people didn't get to see. So he was close. He was close to Jesus. And Peter is the same guy that tells Jesus, you know what, Jesus, even if everybody else leaves you, all these guys, even if they bail on you, I'm not going anywhere. Even even if I have to die, Jesus, I'm your guy. I am never going to leave you. But picture with me the night before Jesus died on the cross, and the guards come, and they arrest Jesus in the garden, and they bring him to Caiaphas, the high priest, And they start to accuse him, and they start to beat him, and things start to escalate. And we see Peter starting to hang back a little bit. We see Peter um, kind of in the distance following. And they get to the courtyard of the high priest, and Peter tries to get in, but he can't get in. And so it's this cold night, and he's outside, and someone has made a fire for people to warm themselves at. And he's standing there and he, and he he can't get inside but he, he knows what's going on there probably isn't good. And a girl says to him, hey, you're one of his followers, right? And he says, no. And a second time someone asks him, hey, you know Jesus, you know this guy. And he says, I don't know him. And then a third time he gets a chance, It gets a question and he says, I, I don't know that guy. And in Jesus' time of greatest pain and suffering, in his most important part of his mission here on earth, his dear friend and brother, Peter, I will never leave you, Peter, he bails on him. He, he denies him next to a campfire. And Jesus goes forward in obedience. He suffers and he dies and he gives up his life. And a few days later, by the power of God, he is raised from the dead. And Peter gets word that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And and so just imagine, like, just think about for a minute, what is going through your heart and mind if you are Peter? I mean, so much, right? There's a lot probably going on. You're you're probably so relieved and so happy. Your friend is alive. I mean, how could this have happened? He's not dead. He's here. You're probably wondering, how how did this happen? What's going to happen next? What's going on? You know, all these things are running through your head. But do you think there was a pit in his stomach thinking about the last time that he saw Jesus? That conversation that they had? Luke's gospel actually tells us that in his third denial, Jesus passes through and they actually make eye contact. And so the last time that they saw each other, do you think he's, he's, that's on his mind when he hears this news? And it says that he starts running towards the empty tomb and maybe he's starting to think about, man, how am I gonna explain this to him? What am I gonna say? Or maybe he's trying to think like, maybe this whole resurrection thing will just kind of erase it, right? Like maybe we just pretend like that didn't happen. But he he is negotiating shame in that moment. And I think we can all identify with having this feeling of shame. We deal with it probably more than we wanna admit and maybe even more than we realize. And some of us, I don't know, probably even have shame about having shame. And there's a little more to it than I think we think about. And I'm going to share some research and thoughts from Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's a psychiatrist who kind of specializes in this overlap between neuroscience, like the way our brain works, and then its effect on our soul. And you know, he talks about how shame is unique in that it happens to both your thoughts, your mind, and your body, right? There's like a physical aspect of shame. You see it in, in little kids, in their red faces, and their heads down. You feel it in your stomach. There's a physical part of it, and it's complex. Shame is brought to our attention through all kinds of things, through memories, sensations, images in our mind, emotions, behaviors. And it's largely subconscious, which means as much as you are aware of your own shame, it's also taking place in you without you knowing as well, even more than that. It starts early. Shame research says that shame takes root in us as early as 15 months of age. So before we even have words or or thoughts about this, before we even know it's happening, shame is on the scene starting to tell us a story that takes root in us. So we're managing this from the beginning. And while it can, it can definitely look like, and often looks like, a regret that you have from your past, maybe something that you did, something that was done to you, shame also comes up in our insecurities, and it comes up in our doubts and in our fears, even, weirdly, even in our pride. And so what does shame sound like in our minds? Those moments maybe when you lay in bed and you think about how you lost it on your kids in anger and you think, "Man, I'm I'm failing it as a parent. I should have figured this out by now." Or maybe in those moments when your boss or your coworker compares you to someone that's performing better, that's hitting the mark better that Got the award that made the cut and you're just like, man, I, I don't measure up. I'm not cutting it here. Or maybe in friendship, I mean, overall it's going fine, but inside you have this feeling like, oh, if, if they really knew me, if they really knew what was going on, they would not want to be with me anymore. That's what the voice of shame in us. And this undercurrent underneath these thoughts is just this idea like, I'm not enough. I've messed up too big or too often. And if anyone else knew, they wouldn't want to be with me. They'd be so disappointed. They'd be so disgusted. They would be so surprised. And here's the thing. This is what I I think God wants to open our eyes to this morning, is that shame is more than just an emotion that we have to manage and negotiate. Shame is an actual tool of our enemy to try and use it against us. And we have to think about where we are in this Easter story. We're zeroing in on the Easter week, but we are living in a time post-Easter, post-Jesus resurrected, come back to life, defeated death, made a way for us to be with him forever. The war is over, victory is won, but he hasn't returned yet. And so we are in the middle of the story and battles are still being fought and our enemy would like to take out as much as he can in the meantime while there is still time remaining. And so these strongholds are a big part of this. And shame is one of his favorite tools that he comes after us with. Can we take a little detour? Are you guys still with me? We're going to go back to the beginning. Out of John. Sorry if you're there. Genesis. We're going back to the beginning. God's good creation. We're in paradise here. And it was full of beauty and goodness. And God created humans and he brought them into the picture. And they were full of beauty and goodness and purpose. And not only that, God invites them to co-labor with him And he gives them creativity and purpose and connection with God and with each other. And man, this is how it was supposed to be. This is what life was supposed to be. Deep connection with God, deep connection with each other, creativity, purpose. And then we read in Genesis 2.25, another descriptor of how life was in paradise. And it says that Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. And this word, naked, it's a little fuller in the Hebrew. It's not so much about like wearing clothes, not wearing clothes. It speaks to their vulnerability. So you can think about that like they were vulnerable and they had no shame. And of all the words that could have been used here, when you think of paradise, all the words that you could have chosen, what's highlighted here is that they had no shame. And that unlike the way we talk about it, being vulnerable here, it's not a negative thing. It wasn't something that they chose to be when they were being brave, right? It's what they were in paradise when everything was as it should be. And vulnerability is really hard to reckon with right now. Because in our modern world, we have so much developed to convince us that we are not vulnerable physically, emotionally. We have, we've forgotten that this is what we are, that we are fragile, that we are not invincible, and that this is not a bad thing, that in our vulnerable state, we are most able to be connected with God and each other. And in that vulnerable state, they were also completely creative as they got connected with their purpose, and God has given us this incredible capacity for creativity to bring about his goodness and love and mercy in this world. But think about how vulnerable it is to create something, right? It reveals, when you create something, it reveals a piece of your story and your heart. And it's hard to imagine this now in a world filled with shame, but You know, to create requires our vulnerability. It requires us to reveal ourselves, which is why it's scary to create something. It's why it's scary to share what we've created. And we get glimpses of this when we're kids, right? Like I have, my parents have horrific amounts of video of me doing dance routines and writing songs on my little Casio keyboard that I, would, you know, do concerts for my family. And, you know, you look at a kid and you see how much dance and art and music is being put into the world at those young ages, and then it doesn't take long, right? All of a sudden you start to realize like, oh, there could be some shame that happens here. I might start to feel shame about this. And that feeling of shame, remember that complex feeling, it's, it feels so awful in us that we just don't ever want to feel that again. So we stop creating, or we stop sharing what we create. Whether it's a song or a story or an idea, even the vulnerability it takes to create a meal, we just stop doing it. But God's good original creation had us vulnerable and without shame, completely connected to God, to each other, and our purpose. So if you're the enemy, what better weapon, what better scheme to come against us than to attack those very things? Because think about what shame causes us to do. Two things, right? The first is to hide. To hide from God, to hide from each other. Again, you, you see this in kids. When, you, when they do something they think they shouldn't have, or they think they're going to experience shame, they hide. Right? Or they hide the thing that will make them, you know, make you know what they did. I remember we walked on or some toddlers in our house, came across the candy stash. It was like one of those Halloween candy that sat around for a really long time and is still there somewhere. And all that we found when we came on the scene was two kids hiding under the blankets and like a million candy wrappers stuffed in a pillowcase, right? Like almost like if I can just disappear. And that's what we do. That's what we do as adults. It's not just the consequences that we're afraid of. It's that somewhere under the surface, the enemy uses shame to plant this lie in us. If anyone finds this out about you, they won't want to be with you anymore. They won't love you the way that they used to. They'll be so disappointed in you. And he plants this fear of abandonment, of physical or emotional abandonment. Or how about this lie, even worse? Man, God must be so disappointed in you. Right? He's perfect and you are not. So what business do you have with him? What business do you have trying to carry out his work in the world? And the enemy not only uses it to convince us to hide from God, to hide from each other, but he tells us to hide it indefinitely. Like, No one can ever find out about this. And he isolates us with our secrets where they fester alone. What a plot, man, right? Like, what a scheme. And the second thing that shame causes us to do is to blame. We want to just divert that attention right away from us. So that feeling of shame that we never want to feel... It feels so bad, so we just put the blame on somebody else. And you, you probably heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And similar, shamed people, shame people. It causes us to be critical of, of each other because it's almost like we can't bear to live with ourselves if we mess up one more time. So it has to be your fault because I can't handle it being my fault again. And these two things, hiding and blaming, shame is leveraged as a weapon against us to try and disconnect us. And can we just together, can we just like leave today with a spotlight on this trap, on this this pit that we keep falling in? Somebody I think needs to hear that the voice of God that you think is the voice of God that is really shame, that is not him. That voice of shame is not God's. That's not how he works. I think we got to look out for each other with that. And this is exactly what we see happening with Peter. Well, Let's bring it back. Let's go back to his story in John 21. Peter has run to the empty tomb. He doesn't see Jesus there, but he knows that Jesus is alive. And then he actually sees Jesus twice with the disciples. Jesus appears to them. But it's, I mean, it's like a lot going on. It's kind of a crazy appearance. There's a lot of people around. And we don't see Peter having an interaction with Jesus yet. And now it's been weeks since his betrayal. It's been a while since that campfire moment that he had. And so we're looking at John 21, verses 2 through 17. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So this is interesting, Right. Like shame is trying to disconnect us. So here's Peter. He's been called from his work as a fisherman. Literally, as he's fishing, Jesus says, come follow me. And he gives him a new life and a new purpose. And Peter sees Jesus and all of his love and all of his power. And yet what does shame do? It disconnects us from that thing that God is calling us to do, his purpose for us. And so Peter goes right back to doing the thing he was doing before he met Jesus. And you know, it's interesting. He kind of tries to go alone, right? He tells the guys, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we'll go with you. And that's just like a little thought to us that people that we love that are trying to isolate from us in their shame, we can reach out. We can kind of chase after them in those moments and stop that shame cycle for them. Verse 3, they said to him, we will go with you. Then they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. If this sounds familiar, this scene, this is a little wink to the time that Jesus met them. And had a similar situation with fishing. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not afar from the land, but about 100 yards off. All right, so here's the big moment. Peter's swimming towards Jesus. They're finally going to talk. He's probably expecting Jesus to say something like, how could you do this to me? What would you say? I mean, you let me down, Peter. I need you to know that 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 hurt a little bit, right? How could you do this to me? But Peter gets out of the water, and he starts to smell the smoke of a campfire. And it's interesting our sense of smell is the most connected to memory. That's why when you smell something like hot apple cider or, or the ocean or you know, a summer rain, it can take you back to memories and places that you've been. And so here's Peter smelling a campfire, the scene of his betrayal, the scene of his failure, and the source of his shame. It's probably just welling up in him. And what does Jesus do? When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. In verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus makes him breakfast. That's what he does with his friends, breakfast on the beach. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And these questions that Jesus asked repeated three times, they're not meant to attack Peter. They are meant to draw out his shame. He wants to make it abundantly clear that might be what you did, but that is not who you are. I still want you, Peter. I'm still calling you. I still want you to build my church. I still want you to build my kingdom. I still want you to represent me. I know what you did, Peter, but I still want you I want to free you from this shame and unlock your God-given creativity and purpose in me to bring my love and bring my mercy and bring my beauty to this world. Peter, you might have denied me three times, but I am going to remind you three times that I still want you, that I'm still with you, and this is who you are in me. And in a moment, Jesus restores his connection with God, with Jesus, with his brothers, with his purpose. And it's not that he says, no big deal, Peter, don't worry about it. He doesn't wipe it from history, right? And there are consequences. We may have consequences of the things that we do, but we don't have to carry the shame that those things that we did do not define us. And Jesus is saying, yep, I know that happened. I know who you are. I know that you are more than what you did, and you are not disqualified Whatever that thing is that seems too big or too much or not enough, all of our shortcomings have been taken care of on the cross. And Connor, if you want to come on up. We just I want to give us some time today to get our heads wrapped around this and just think about um, what the Spirit might be prompting in terms of a step today. So we're going to have some time for you to pray here Andy, I'm wondering if you could come up. Andy and I will be up here to pray with anyone that wants prayer. But maybe, maybe God is asking you to think about the shame that you've been carrying in your life. Maybe he's asking, maybe he wants to replace the story that you've been telling yourselves that disqualifies you, that takes you out from what he's calling you to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's taking a step into your calling, into your purpose. Maybe it's reaching out to a trusted friend who you can hold this thing that the enemy has said you can never tell anyone and ha- be able to hold it in the light and, say, and hear them say, like, I'm not leaving. I know what you did, but it's not who you are. That's so much the heartbeat of the kind of community we want to have here. That's the heartbeat behind Cruz. That's the heartbeat behind this session that we're having coming up, Finding Freedom, is we want you to have people like that in your life that you can do that with. Maybe there's someone you need to reach out to in the opposite way. But let's take some time right now and just let God speak to us. I think he wants to have somebody leave here feeling more free because the freedom has already been declared. It's already done. He took care of that on the cross, and it's our chance now to just walk in that freedom, to accept the story that he is telling about us. So let's just take some time to pray and to listen, and we'll just ask God to speak to us here.